Thanks again to the team for leading us this morning. And thank you for being in church today. God bless you. It's an encouragement to me. Because, there, you know, in the 21st century, church attendance and church loyalty is a waning thing. There are not many people who are committed anymore. In fact, one old preacher who was rather resourceful and inventive who was weary of hearing the same old excuses year after year, decided he would strike back. So he came up with uh, ten reasons why he refuses to take a bath anymore. And here they are. Some of you are going to want this after it's over, and you can have it for $5. Well, he said, number one, I was forced to bathe as a child. And I was made to go to the tub whether I wanted to or not, so therefore I'm not taking a bath anymore. Reason number two, people who bathe all the time are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everybody else. So I'm just not going to take a bath anymore. Number three, there are so many different kinds of soap from which to choose, I can never decide on which one is the best for me. Number four, I used to bathe. But the last few times it was boring, so I stopped. Mm, Never heard that one? Number five, I still do bathe on special occasions, Christmas and Easter. I got to stop there. You know something I did one time, I should not have done this, but it just comes out of me sometimes. I was doing an interim pastorate down in Georgia. And Easter Sunday morning, the place was full. And you know what I said to the people? I said, I'll see some of you at Christmas. I can't believe it just came out. It just came out. It just came out. I can't believe I said that. But I did. Okay, number six. None of my friends bathe regularly, so why should I? Number seven. Besides, I'm still reasonably young. When I get older and a lot dirtier, then I might consider bathing. Number eight. I'm too busy. I don't have time to bathe. Number nine, another thing, the the bathroom is never warm enough in the winter and it's never cool enough in the summer, so I'm not going to bathe. And number ten, it's a known fact that people who make soap are only after your money. Well, I like that. That's, um, That's pretty inventive for obviously to refute those who say, why they don't come to church. Well, we're going to read in a passage of Scripture today where Jesus went to church. And we're going to see what happened. It was not the happiest church service in the world. So turn with me, please, as we continue our study of the Gospel of John to John chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Now, I know we read verse 12 at the end of last week, but I want to pick back up on verse 12 Because we're just going to read, we're going to study through every verse in the book of John. So we start with verse 12, okay? Chapter 2, book of John. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why does it say he went up to Jerusalem? Is that a mistake? Because Jerusalem is south. Well, it's up in elevation. 
So he went up to Jerusalem. Verse 14, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Another gospel adds to it, what did it say? My house shall be known as a house of prayer. That's what it's supposed to be. But you're not going to make my father's house a house of merchandise. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has consumed me. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered verse 19 and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Oh, my friends, as we look at chapter 2 of the book of John, I want you to realize how exciting it is because Jesus revealed several things about himself to us. In the earlier part of chapter 2 that we studied just last week, we saw him reveal his glory. Remember through the changing of the water into wine. And today he reveals the zeal he has for the Lord. And we'll see one more revelation in the latter part of chapter 2. But he reveals in this passage his zeal for the Lord and for the Lord's house. So Jesus leaves Capernaum. Now, I meant to show you a map. I forgot to put it up there. But Capernaum, I've told you before, was Jesus' headquarters. It is a small village just on the seashore, the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It became the earthly headquarters for our Lord Jesus. And you go there today and there's nothing but ruins and a small Catholic monastery. Well, why is there no town there anymore? Well, not here, but later Jesus predicted because of what happened there, you will be cursed forever. Nothing will ever live here. So it is nothing but a true fulfillment of prophecy. But during this time, it was his earthly headquarters. He convened much of his Galilean ministry around this little city of Capernaum, which is just up on the hillside west of the Sea of Galilee. So it says in verse 12, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Remember at this time, he just has six. So they're all in a group. They have gone to the wedding. And remember, we had a good time studying that last Sunday. So he makes his way down to Jerusalem, well, up to Jerusalem in elevation. Well, there were three obligatory times when every Jew was supposed to go to temple. The Passover was one of them. And the Feast of Tabernacles, Tab- Tabernacles was another of them. But we see him making his way down for the Passover. And he goes up to the temple. He goes to church. 
Now, Jesus did violate man-made rules about Judaism, but he never, never disobeyed God's commandment. And so we see him following God's commandment. Go to the temple, to go to church, as we would call it, on Passover. And so he makes his way down. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, verse 13. So we see the first point, that Jesus revealed his zeal for God, first of all, by cleansing the temple. And we see that in verses 13 through 17. It's one of the most dramatic instances of Jesus' ministry. Now, some people say it shows Jesus had a temper. Well, I hate to go there. I really do because I have been known to have a temper myself. It's in there, isn't it? And anybody who knows me well knows it's in there. Now, some of you have never seen me lose my temper, and I pray you never do, and you probably never will. But I will admit, I confess, I got one. It's in there. It's in there. Dale might have seen it a time or two in our lives, but it's in there. And if I'm pushed long and hard enough, something rares up inside of me. And sometimes, I'll tell you what, I was telling you this the other day. Once my Melissa, my oldest daughter, she went through boyfriends worse than tissue paper. I'm telling you, she had so many of them. I got to where early on I just started calling them the current one. I did. I just say, you the current one? Because I knew in a couple weeks he'd be gone. Well, one time, this was in Augusta, Georgia, before we ever moved to the upstate. Oh, I remember my temper. It just got out, got away with me one day because a boy called. <laughs> he said, can I speak to Melissa? Very, you know, I just thought it was Kurt. Uh, sorry, Kurt. It was Kurt, K-U-R-T. But it, I said, I said, excuse me? He said, can I speak to Melissa? I said, may I ask who's calling? See, I'm trying to teach the boy some English also. May I ask who's calling? He said, I'd rather not say. I'm just telling you, friends, I felt something red just come up in me. It just, I mean, I really felt something red hitting, going all the way to the top of my head. I mean, real quick. And I looked at the phone. It was when we had a phone in the house, you know, those things that had dials on them. You, you heard of those? Kids, they really used to have those things. They really did. I mean, they had... Anyway, never mind. But anyway, so I said, boy, no name, no talk. I mean, I slammed that thing down as hard as I could. I was just burning. And I called up Melissa. I said, Melissa, she was upstairs. I said... You tell that boy if I ever find him, I'm going to hurt him. I'm going to hurt him bad. <laughs> so so it's, it, it's in there. It's in me. Well, did Jesus have a temper? Is it wrong to have a temper? Well, no, it's not. Now, I'm not going to say I've always been right when my temper manifests itself. In that instance, I was righteous. Don't you agree? I was righteous. Oh, by the way, about two weeks later, another boy called. A different one. And he'd been dating Melissa this time about two weeks. And I said, are you the current one? He said, yes, sir. Real sweet. And he'd been dating her two or three weeks. And I said, boy, I knew his name and we knew, I knew who it was. And I said, listen, this is getting pretty serious. You've been dating about two weeks. I got some questions for you, boy. He said, yes, sir. What, Dr. Page? I said, boy, do you love Jesus? 
I'll never forget what he said. He said, I love Jesus a lot more than I love your daughter. I said, boy, right answer. Come on over anytime you want. (laughs) Right answer, son. You know how to say it right. Did Jesus have a temper? Well, yes, he did. Was he manifesting it appropriately is the question. And the answer is an unqualified yes. But we see Jesus revealing his zeal for the Lord by what happened in his cleansing of the temple. So look there with me again, please. And you will see, and again, I should have brought you a diagram, though you'd have looked at it and said, what's that? A diagram looking down on the temple. Now, there's no temple anymore. It was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. But if you go up onto the Temple Mount, which is still there, there are two large mosques, one the Golden Dome and the other uh, is the Mosque uh, Elaska. But there are, the ground is still there, about 20 acres. It's a lot of land up there where the temple used to be. The Wailing Wall is still there, the Western Wall it's called. It's the only part close to where the temple was, that still exists from Roman days. They unearthed it, the, still the same stones that formed the foundation of the exterior of the Temple Mount. It's still there. In fact, if you go there now, you can go into a tunnel, and I've been through it many, many, many times. Dale has too, and some of you have with me. You can go to the left or to the north, and go down even further, and you're still along the western wall, but you can actually go closer to where the Holy of Holies would have been. And there are now, in that grotto down in there, a number of synagogues, some for men, some for women, where they are worshiping and praising God and reading the Torah, uh, very close to where the Holy of Holies would have been. But the temple was made in such a way, if you've got a Bible, you can see in your maps, it usually has a diagram, but there was the Holy of Holies, holy place, and there was a place where they did sacrifices, there was a thing of water where they washed, uh, so it was kind of the inner sanctum. But on the outside of it was a place where the Israeli men, Hebrew men, the court of Israel, where they would come and worship toward the Holy of Holies, and then there was a court of women for Jewish women, and then on the outside of that was a larger uh, courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles, where Gentiles could come and worship. But it was in that place that many vendors had come to set up their wares. Why? Well, what was meant for convenience turned into a lucrative merchandising opportunity. For example, if you traveled from Galilee, it might be hard to bring your goat, sheep, oxen. If you travel from a far greater distance than that, it would be very difficult to bring those animals, those sacrifices. So when you got to the court of the Gentiles, you could buy your sacrifice animal. Well, and here's another opportunity that came along. The money that they would give, you couldn't just bring in money from the Romans or other uh, type of currency. You couldn't do that. They wanted you to give a temple coin, one that was approved by the, uh, the Jewish hierarchy. So you had to exchange your money for the temple money. 
Well, there was always a very interesting exchange rate involved. And particularly if you were ignorant and from afar, you ended up paying a far more exchange rate than other people locally would. So it became quite a business. So you've got animals in the court of the Gentiles, oxen, and you know what happens when sheep and oxen and all them animals are there. It makes quite a mess. So there's animals everywhere. There are people trying to uh, compete with each other to, to do the money-changing business. All of this is going on, and it got noisy and smelly, and Jesus comes to church. And he sees this. Now, some people would say he had a spell. Some would say he went cray-cray. Whatever you want to say, he gets and makes a whip, and he goes to town. Jesus was in charge. What had happened? That was was meant early for convenience became a horrible excuse for taking advantage of people. And so here Jesus cleaned house. You see, the condition, the con- condition of the temple had become a spiritual marker for how the nation had become. Religion had become a dull routine. And these people exercised their authority just to get rich. And Jesus revealed his zeal for for the house of God and for God. And perhaps the disciples would remember what was said in, I think it was Psalm 69, when it says, the zeal for your house has consumed me. But religion had become fake. It had become routine. It had become uh, inappropriate. So Jesus declared war on false religion. Jesus declared war on fake religion. Jesus declared war on those who would use the house of God for personal gain. My friends, he did what he needed to do. But what do we need to do? It's time to clean out the church of God. It's time to clean out our own lives. It's time to clean out our own hearts. For you see, we, just like the Jews of Jesus' day, have replaced substance with tradition and form. Many of us just come to church because we're supposed to. We come to church just because it's our duty or because we've done it decade after decade. We have replaced substance with form and tradition. And we pick on, often, sometimes with reason, on our more liturgical brethren and sistren. But we do it in the Baptist church just the same way. We replace substance with tradition and form. Have we replaced zeal with habit? Well, i got to go to church today. What? Friends, I want it to be I get to go today. I don't have to go anywhere. But I get to go into the presence of an almighty God. I want to. Oh God, forgive us for exchanging passion with programmed predictability. Oh God, we need a spiritual house cleansing. And Jesus, with his whip spiritually, comes into our lives today to say, let's get it right. Make sure you're here for the right reason. No, we don't have money changers and we don't have animals being sold. But inside, our hearts can be just as cold and formal 
And Jesus says it's time to have a spiritual house cleaning. Amen? Amen. Second, we also see him revealing his zeal by giving his life. If you'll look at verses 18 through 22 that we've already read, you will see that the Jewish authorities were pretty upset by this. Now, Jesus came in. He is not in the upper echelon of Jewish authority, but he's taken over the whole temple. Did anybody try to stop him? Oh, no, he probably whooped him if they did. But the Jews, those in authority, want to know who is this man who exhibits such power? Who is this man who has taken over our entire temple? Why do you do these things? What, what? And they begin to question him, obviously, uh, because they want to know what's the source of your authority. And he uses the image of the temple to convey the truth. And look at verse 19. He says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it back up. Well, this drove them crazy. It took decades to build this thing, and you are talking about destroying it, and in three days you're going to raise it back up? It was certainly misunderstood. We know Jesus was using a prediction of his own death, burial, and resurrection. So he was making a statement that revealed his zeal for the Lord by saying, I'm going to give myself as a temple. I'm going to give myself for you. It's a powerful, powerful passage As John gives us this vivid picture, now throughout John, we're going to see those vivid pictures such as Jesus as the Lamb of God, Jesus destroying the temple. We're going to see him using these tremendously powerful images. But here he says, I am going to die, but three days later I'm going to come back from the dead. Now we know the temple was an important element in Jewish faith. All of the important sacrifices and ceremonies were made there. I've just finished my daily Bible reading again for the 43rd time or 44th time. I've forgotten how many that I've read the Bible through. I've just finished the reading of the kings. And it would say that King Asa, who was a good king, or uh, Manasseh, who was a terrible king, they would set up sacrifice places in high places places to sacrifice in other places. They want to make it easy for the people to sacrifice in a more convenient location. But it was only supposed to be done in Jerusalem. Only at the temple. So all the sacrifices and ceremonies were performed there. And when Jesus suggested that this precious building of theirs could be destroyed, their angry reaction was certainly predictable. And we got somebody wanting to share that with us today on the phone. And let me tell you, I did that. Where was it, Dale, when I did that? Yeah, I hit the button. It was in Sunday school. Right there, we were in Sunday school, first Baptist career, and I hit the button, and you can't get it off. I'm just going to tell you, you have to turn the phone off. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, Donna. That's all right, honey. Just turn the whole thing. I know it's the Bible, and I know you was reading the Bible to us. There's a button on there that you accidentally pushed. I know exactly what it is. I've done it. I'm telling you. Woo! But listen to me now. Bring us back. Not only was he saying, I'm going to die, he was also predicting the end of the sacrificial system. And that was difficult for them to accept. He was predicting 
that that which they had done was going to see a better fruition in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And when he died, they didn't need any more. Now if you go to Israel today, you will see many people still observing these religious rituals. They don't do sacrifices anymore. There's no temple there. But you will go to the Wailing Wall and you will see particularly the Hasidic Jews and and the Orthodox Jews. And some of them are wearing uh, beautiful beaver hats because that's a part of their tradition. Some will have these little square boxes on their head. Those are phylacteries. And they will have on every doorpost in every hotel room uh, a, a little thing. And many people say, what's that on my doorpost? Well, that's a mezuzah. And it has in it a little part of the Torah following as they believe Old Testament scripture. But Jesus is saying, listen, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. You don't need anything other than me. And I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to be resurrected in three days. Oh, my friends, we have seen Jesus here revealing the glory of God. And now we've seen him revealing the zeal that he had for the Lord. And what I believe he's talking to us about today is how we need to make sure that our worship is pure. That we don't allow anything to come into our hearts and our minds that would dilute the worship that we ought to have. He talks about the priority of worship and the priority of the the church, the priority of coming into church or a temple with the right kind of attitude and mindset. What a Savior we have. And I ask you today to renew yourself with me to a purity of worship, to absolute obedience, to refute or to a refutation of anything that pulls us away from a purity of worship. Oh my, God forgive us for substituting anything for faith and worship. Oh God, may we have a passion of heart and a passion for worship. And all God's people said, Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, it's obvious we don't need anything else but Jesus. Lord, he was in charge of the temple that day. And maybe he in charge of our may he be in charge of our hearts right now. And God, we do the same thing that was done then. We substitute form and ritual, and duty, where there ought to be passion, and worship, and praise. Oh God, forgive us for that. And I pray, God, you would draw us unto yourself like never before. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.